scribes asked John the Baptist, what should we do? He said to them in reply, whoever has two cloaks should share with the person who has none. And whoever has food should do likewise. Even tax collectors came to be baptized and they said to him, teacher, what should we do? He answered them, stop collecting more than what is prescribed. Soldiers also asked him, and what is it that we should do? He told them, do not practice extortion, do not falsely accuse anyone, and be satisfied with your wages. Now the people were filled with expectation, and all were asking in their hearts whether John might be the Christ. John answered them all, saying, I am baptizing you with water, but one mightier than I is coming. I am not worthy to loosen the thongs of his sandals. He will baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. His winnowing fan is in his hand to clear his threshing floor and to gather the wheat into his barn, but the chaff he will burn with unquenchable fire. Exhorting them in many other ways, he preached good news to the people. The Gospel of the Lord. When I finally started to make the decision that I actually wanted to live out my Catholic life and grow closer to God, that was sort of one of the more terrifying experiences in my life. And I think it's actually a common experience for people because it sort of goes something like this. We're thinking to ourselves, well, I don't know, if I, if I give more of my life to the Lord, I, I'm sort of afraid that he's going to take it. You know, in fact, Archbishop Lasney used to say that to us. He said, you know, gentlemen, when you, you're going to give your, church, your, your life to the church, don't be afraid when she takes it, <laughs> you know. And so he would remind us of that all the time. But then he went on to tell us that my decision becoming a priest, he was speaking from his perspective, has brought the most joy that he could possibly imagine. And that's exactly what we're talking about today. The reason that we wear the rose vestments on Gaudete Sunday is because we are a people who rejoice because we have Christ in our lives, that we actually experience joy. You know, we hear one of the most profound examples of this is from one of the men who suffered the most, St. Paul himself. You know, St. Paul says that in our second reading today, which is a powerful one. I've heard Bishop Barron say that this is one of the most important readings of all of scriptures. Brothers and sisters, rejoice in the Lord always. I shall say it again, rejoice. And this is a man who suffered being stoned, beaten by rods, shipwrecks, all kinds of persecutions. But because Christ was in him, he was a joyful, joyful man. And one of the things that's contained in our readings today is kind of amazing. Because in our second reading today, we have one of the keys, and then our gospel, we have the other key. And so in the second reading today, the second part after what I've ju I just read was, have no anxiety at all, but in everything, by prayer and petition, with thanksgiving, make your requests known to God. 
So St. Paul hits on one of the first and most important parts of our Christian life, to pray, to ask God for what we need in our life, to lift your anxieties up to him. And then we hear the other component of this in the gospel from St. John the Baptist, right? What ends up happening is that three different times, three populations of people asking this one question, what should we do? What should we do? And we see in our lectionary today, faith and works working together. That is how God created human beings. Faith and works work in harmony with one another because that's how we grow in virtue and start to learn who God really is in our life. Now, one of the things, as I mentioned, St. Paul, like, of course, he experiences this joy even though he's experienced suffering. And I have just two quotes here that, that I've always loved that kind of go to show you saints were people who were so filled with Christ that in spite of their difficulties, their sufferings, even unto death, they experienced immense joy in their life. And it was like the fuel that absolutely drove them through their lives, through their own difficulties. So from this one, I'm sure some of you know this. From silly devotions and sour-faced saints, good Lord, deliver us. Saint Teresa of Avila said that, you know, because she saw that, like, no, no. If you are people who live in Christ, you are people of joy, you know, not these sour-faced saints that we see out there. She also said this, a sad nun is a bad nun. I am more afraid of one unhappy sister than a crowd of evil spirits, <laughs> you know, and I just love, you know, that, that response from St. Teresa of Al. One of the doctors of our church, a brilliant, brilliant woman, realized that to be in Christ is to be filled with joy, and so one of the things that I wanted to talk about primarily today, because in the gospel, we sort of get an answer to it. It's almost a precursor to the Sermon on the Mount, you know, the Beatitudes. You know, John the Baptist is saying, there are things that you have to do to live a virtuous life. And one of those things is to serve others who are in need in a variety of ways. To not cheat, to not take for yourself, but to give to other people who are in need. That covers, in a sense, what we are to do in our Christian life, a teaching that flows from Jesus Christ. But the part that's harder, the part, like I said, that sometimes is rooted in fear, is to draw closer to Christ, that he's going to maybe take something away. But even in my own life, it, it's true. He did everything not in the way I expected it at all, and he continues to surprise me every single day of my life. But I experience more joy and more rejoicing in my life than all those times before where I was wandering away from Christ and not near him. And so one of the things I'm going to share with you today is the prayer piece. And some of you this is familiar to, with, too. Um, this is Matthew Kelly's prayer process. Now keep in mind, people who write different compilations like this are always already drawing on the spiritual masters of our faith when they make these compilations, but they're just trying to make it more accessible to us, right? So it's not something that, you know, Matthew Kelly invented. He draws on the great wisdom of the saints, but it's a great and concise process, and I found it to be really, really helpful. So if you look this up, if you look Matthew Kelly prayer process, it will pop right up, and they even have little cards about them too. The first step is this, and St. Paul hits on it, gratitude, always in thanksgiving to the Lord for the things that we have in our life. So if we can sit in a quiet place to pray, the very first step 
is look at the last 24 hours of your life and tell God in plain terms what you are thankful for, what you are grateful for in your life. If you do this every day, gosh, this, this can transform your relationship with you and Jesus Christ. But Lord, I'm thankful for the friends I have in my life. Yesterday, I got to go to the climbing gym with two of my great friends. And that was amazing. It was a short little part of the day. But it was just a great gift to be able to spend time with good friends. So what is it in your life? What is it that you were grateful for in that last 24 hours? Maybe it's that one of your children passed a test that they had a lot of difficulty and anxiety with, or they're graduating from, you know, the next grade, or you found out that a health concern turned out not to be a health concern, that everything is fine, whatever it might be that you're grateful for. And then you move on to your next step. And this is kind of a bigger step, but it's a really important one. Awareness. And what are we aware of? For those who know Matthew Kelly, one of the things he talks about is being the best version of yourself. And so you look at your day and you say, where was I the best version of myself? But also you cannot leave this part out. And where was I the worst person? <laughs> you know, you know what, what were my opportunities for improvement? And so who knows? You know, who knows what you, the best version of yourself was? Maybe you were at Fred Meyer and you're walking back to your car with your groceries, but somebody approaches you and said, you know, I'm really down on my luck. I could really use a little bit of money. And you have it, and you're able to give that to them. And maybe that was the best version of yourself in that last 24-hour period. Now, who knows? Maybe the worst, per worst version of yourself is 10 minutes later when you're in the car and somebody cuts you off and you're yelling and screaming and using all kinds of curse words. You're like, well, Lord, that wasn't my best. That wasn't my best. You know, but we have moments like this, right? And we review our day. Where were we the best version of ourselves, And where were we less than that? And then you move on to the next step, which is significant moments. And you'll notice, because I've been doing this for years, you'll notice that there are overlap. And that's good. That's great that there's overlap. And who knows, maybe your significant moment is also one of the best or worst versions of yourself. And often for me, I find that, that it is. But when you look at a significant moment in your life, what was it? Was it a conversation that you had with somebody else? Just one word, one kind word, or one thing that they did. Yeah, it could be the simplest thing. Like somebody walked up to you that day and hugged you. And, and you just, it just stuck with you the whole day for some reason or another. Or, or who knows, you know, it, it could be anything. It might be something difficult. Maybe you're having a different time, difficult time with one of your siblings and you got a fight on the phone and, and you, know, you kind of left it in a tough situation, but it sat with you. What is that significant moment? And, you, and you, all throughout these steps, you're just speaking to God about the moment and how you felt about it. What is it that, that's sticking with you? Why? The next, we ask for peace in our hearts and peace is rooted in forgiveness in asking for forgiveness and forgiving. And so this is, and, and usually is our second, our second theme in the, the week of Advent. So for peace, we say this, God, is there any way that I have offended you, myself, or my fellow neighbor in some way, shape, or form? So that we're actually asking for forgiveness, we're confessing our sins, even on a daily basis, sometimes more than, <laughs> more than that. It could be, you know, throughout the day, if, if need be. But if we can do that, if we can say, Lord, these are the ways that I've sinned against you, myself, or other people, 
you'll find that when you go to sacramental confession to reconciliation, it's so much sharper and more concise, and you have so much better sense because you've been doing it every day. At some point in your day, you've been reviewing that last 24 hours, and you realize where you need to reconcile in your life and experience Christ's peace. After that step, you move on to a step called freedom. Freedom, or, or you're thinking about enslavement a lot of the ways. You know, In the step of freedom, you're examining your life and you're looking to see, is there anything that I'm a slave to? Anything that's an obstacle to being completely free to live out my Christian life in Christ, to grow closer to Christ. And that could be any manner of things. Usually, again, overlapping with some of those things that takes away our peace, right? Some of the sins in our life. Maybe it's an addiction that you really struggle with, and it is an obstacle between you and your relationship with God and living out a free, free life. Maybe it's some sort of an old grudge. Who knows? You know, maybe there's a friend that you used to be great friends with each other and you had a falling out and you're just having a difficult time forgiving them and reconciling and being the one, being the one who picks up the phone and starts the reconciliation process. What is the thing that is robbing you of freedom to fully live out a joy-filled life where you walk around rejoicing in this life? And then one of the, one of the most important steps, not, not quite last, but, but, but certainly not least, is all of you, others, others. We lift up our prayers for other people in our life. It could be our family, our friends, and in fact, the whole entire world that we're praying for. But we turn our prayer in an outward act of charity to pray for other people, the people who have asked for our prayers, uh, you know, God knows for me, because I'll, I'll meet with some people individually throughout the week, you'll be on my mind if I met with you that week. Or if I celebrated a funeral or a baptism, those families will be on my mind. The people that I work with are on my mind. And so there's so much, so many people to pray for. So we lift up our prayers for other people in our life. And then finally, finally, how do we finish our prayer? We finish our prayer with the perfect prayer. When the apostles asked Jesus Christ himself, teach us how to pray. And he gave them the words of the Our Father, the prayer of the Our Father, the Lord's Prayer. Just in the same way that those disciples of John the Baptist who were following him, they asked him, you know, what is it that we should do? The apostles asked Jesus, how is it that we're to pray? And that's a profound moment. So we just finish all that prayer with the Our Father. Now, this process can take three minutes, potentially, or it can take 30 minutes. Sometimes I've been so lost in these steps before that it's been nearly my whole holy hour devoted to just working through this process. But it's a very holistic one. And it's amazing that if we can grow in our prayer and in the works of virtue in our life, then we are joyful people, people who can truly rejoice in the Lord. And we remember, as we have all these readings with St. John the Baptist, we remember this moment, this moment where Elizabeth, who's holding John the Baptist in her womb, 
meets her cousin Mary, who holds Jesus Christ in her womb. And what is John the Baptist's response to the Blessed Mother and Jesus in her womb? Is it the moment that we met, the infant in my womb, John the Baptist, leapt with joy. That's the encounter that we're looking for with our Lord Jesus Christ. That we encounter him, we have joy in our life. Lastly, I, I have a friend who's a nurse. She is one of these very up, upbeat, bubbly, joy-filled people. And she was in the hospital, and she was working with a woman who was very sad and depressed and very sick. And for days and days, she said very few words. But then eventually, after three or four days, she looked at my friend, truly with earnest eyes, and said, why are you so happy all of the time? And she really wanted to know. And my friend, who doesn't pull any punches and is just honest with people, she said one word. She said, Jesus. She said, Jesus is why I am so happy. And I pray that that's exactly what that woman needed to hear. We are Christian people. We are joy-filled people who rejoice because the Lord Jesus Christ has entered our lives. God bless you all.